place it comfortably. Uh, this talk tonight is perhaps um, a little more um, psychological than it usually is, but it's got a lot of re relevance to Zen practice. And if we were to give it a title, I'd give it the title um, uh, Zen Practice and Emotional Regulation. What prompted me to talk about it, I was listening to um, Radio National the other day and there was a woman being interviewed who's doing a research study in um, New Zealand on emotional regulation and tracking children through to adulthood over a long, long span, over like 20, 30 years. And um, one of the really interesting statements that she made is that the, re the research into um, emotional regulation or self-control, as it's often referred to as well, um, indicates that about, if I heard the statistics correctly, about 20% of the population creates 80% of the social problems in the sense of um, you know, being involved in crime, being involved in welfare, unemployment, um, mental illness issues and so on. And, um, and uh, uh, what they're tracking through is the ability that people have to regulate their emotions. So that the, the people who can um, um, regulate their emotions very well um, seem to do a lot better in all aspects of their life, like in work, saving money, relationships, you know, relating to other people and so on. And so it's a, a very um, important um, piece of research. And um, there's been a lot of uh, uh, research and writing and inquiry done about um, the effect of mindfulness and emotional regulation. So Zen practice and emotional regulation comes into it too. I would suggest that, first of all, the kind of people who would come along to a Zen meditation evening and sit for two hours, um, you probably have quite a high level of self-control or emotional regulation. It's sort of self-selective. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people who, who simply couldn't do that because of a sense of impatience or whatever. So um, the fact that you're already here, do, do you know, practicing meditation, often probably all of us, because we have such high ideals or high expectations of ourselves, always reflect on all of the things that we've done where we haven't had self-control, you know, um, where we've made a mistake or whatever. Um, but if you were to reflect on it, you probably find in many, many different ways you actually do have quite a well-developed sense of, of emotional regulation. Um, and and we, we often only see the times when we don't do it. We don't often see the times that we just do it and it's natural. But looking into it, um, I think where, where we become skillful with emotional regulation uh, is where um, we're not being forceful about trying to stop a way of thinking or a way of feeling or behaviour, um, but we're, we're befriending ourselves and we're kind of mindful of everything that's involved in that process. It's what seems to happen when 
um, people have the fear of God put into them, do you know, to not drink so much or eat so much or have sex too much, whatever it might be, is that what happens is that the brain exhausts itself trying to stop. You know, mustn't do that, mustn't do that, put the brake on. Do you know, it's trying to, it's forcing something to happen and then it exhausts itself and then it becomes easy prey for, for indulging in something, you know, whether it's chocolate cake or, you know, too much wine or whatever. But it's this, it's this kind of trying to force something to stop, exhausting yourself, and then, and then become vulnerable to the very thing that's going to give you some kind of immediate gratification. So that kind of approach doesn't, doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at it in terms of child-rearing, you know, kids have had the fear of God put into them to don't do this and don't do that and, you know, speak properly to adults, you know, and it's all fear-based, often don't end up with very good emotional regulation because they exhaust themselves trying to be good and then they, you know, deplete. Um, on the other hand, children who just don't know, given any kind of boundaries or whatever either, don't develop good regulation. And they find when they, when they teach children in school, um, good boundaries, you know, um, in, that happens in normal everyday kind of circumstances, that children are learnt some sense of boundary setting and um, pausing before they do things, that they do grow up to be much more mature adults and have a, um, a better time of it as an adult. Just little things like children being able to wait their turn or not interrupt a conversation, you know, all those little things that build up um, actually give uh, children the, the skills, you know, to be more, more fulfilled as an adult. So a lot of us have those, I would suggest a lot of us have those skills develop quite a lot already. But through um, Zen practice, we learn to refine them even more, I think. And that's where you have um, uh, the cultivation of patience through Zen practice, you know, the, the cultivation of calmness. Um, as many of you have heard me talk about before, um, is from a Buddhist perspective, we're all addicted. We're all addicts. The, the Buddhist notion of what causes suffering is craving. Craving is addiction. You know? And um, addiction is not just to the more obvious things like um, alcohol, drugs, pornography, you know, gambling, etc. We're all, we're all addicted to something. We're addicted to um, wanting to be liked, um, being right, being able to work things out make a lot of money, maintain social status, maintain power. There's a whole lot of socially acceptable things that also fall into the area of addiction and craving. You know, or just simply wanting, wanting more of pleasant things and dreading unpleasant things or painful things is what drives us in our life. So the whole, the whole evolution of Zen practice as we practice it is to get unhooked from this craving, you know, that drives our behaviour. Um, but the way, it seems like the most skillful way that we learn to do that is by befriending the whole of our experience. Right? So we, we befriend 
the one who eats, wants to eat a lot of chocolate. You know, we befriend the one that wants to drink a lot of wine instead of judging it. And by doing that, instead of pushing away parts of ourselves that we don't like, um, we actually turn up and we bring very focused mindfulness to the experience of what we do. Mm -hmm. To all aspects of it, the before of it, the, the during eating the chocolate, the after the eating the chocolate, uh, and it's through bringing mindfulness to the whole of experience, the whole range of it, um, that somehow we get out of this dynamic of trying to force ourselves to stop and then giving in. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like we just let um, some impulse arise in us and just watch it and then let it pass out again, you know. And, and if you develop that witnessing, that sort of befriending witnessing kind of um, part of you, you just see it arise and it just passes out of you again. You don't make a drama out of it. I think back to, to things in my life, you know, that I had difficulty with. I made a drama out of it. Mustn't do this, mustn't do that, you know, or maybe you will, you know, maybe you won't. And and when you just turn up to be calmly you know, and, and non-judgmentally aware of the whole process, then something shifts. It's not so hard. It's not like a hard task to be to be emotionally regulated. One of the things I notice now, compared to when I was younger, to give an example of it, um, um, it's extremely rare for me to ever overeat. And when I was younger, I, I would, and I was one of those person people who could eat anything they like and they wouldn't put on weight, so there was not really a, a repercussion in terms of that sense of it. But now, when I'm thinking of how much I'm going to eat, there's some kind of better self-regulation that comes in that goes, yeah, that, just that is enough. Uh, that's enough. Because what happens if you're mindful of overeating, if you follow it through, you'll get an unpleasant feeling. Like you'll feel bloated, you know, it's too much. That's an unpleasant thing. And as you go through storing that memory, when you go to focus on eating something, kind of like that's there in the background and it forms your decision and you go well if I do that the there's going to be a consequence that follows from it, like a karma that follows from it. I actually don't want that consequence. It's like that's the forethought that goes ahead based on past experience that that's not going to be a good outcome. And that informs all of your decision making. So it becomes something you in other words, in summary, I think that children, and also us as, as Zen practitioners, actually develop far better emotional regulation in the way that we manage our anger, our sadness, our fear, etc., by befriending all those experiences and being very, very closely mindful of what those experiences are. So it's like um, we're not just shining the light on what we think is good about us, we're shining the light on the good, the bad and the ugly, right? Everything comes under the view of the observer. And when we can do that in a holistic way, without judgment, 
that, that gives us the foundation in which we can emotionally regulate in a, in a much friendlier, easier, calmer kind of way. The f- trying to force yourself to do something, you know, and then giving it, it's not, not sustainable. Rem- I, there's a, um, a saying I often use when I'm working with people um, of unsustainable goodness. And it reminds me of a young man I knew years ago who, because of his religious um, values and so on, um, had very strict, um, a very strict attitude about sexuality, you know, and, and, and um, not having sex and so on, to, to an extreme point of view that was so purist, and he ended up becoming a peeping Tom. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you, it's like it's not a, a mindful acceptance of one's sexuality, it's kind of like pushing it all away that's very, very different, and then it pops out somewhere else. Whereas, like with sexuality, if we were to just befriend that experience, then somehow it becomes manageable in a, in a free kind of way. There's no great, huge need to to force things in a certain direction or force energy in a certain direction. So children learn that process and and as we take up Zen practice we refine it even more and we find that there's a need that comes um, in the way that we live our life because we're not trying to force ourselves into any kind of um, ideal. It's, it's, it's mindfulness based. 